As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and joining me today, it's a Bundesliga spectacular, and that means, as always, Manuel Vaith of Transfer Market is here. Transfer Market, excuse me, and the Gagan Pressing Podcast is here with me. Manuel, great to chat with you again. How's it going, buddy? It's it's well, it hasn't really been that long. Um, it hasn't I, been that long. No, I feel like we're probably gonna we're on a path of making this a more regular thing, which is great and exciting, and I'm really looking forward to today. Yeah, me too, man, because there's always interesting stuff to talk about in the Bundesliga. You and I always end up talking about lots of stuff. Uh, so far, before we started recording, we talked about, I think, geopolitical relations in <laughs> Canada and the United States. We talked about geopolitical relations in Russia and Ukraine. We talked about car manufacturing. We've been all over the place. But yeah. right now, we're going to talk about some football. Manuel, for those who don't know, was on vacation last week. He goes away for one week, and the DFL takes that opportunity to start talking about playoffs. Manuel, are we going to have Bundesliga playoffs? Should we be expecting the 2023 Bundesliga Super Schussel? Will David Hasselhoff <laughs> do the halftime show? What's the plan? Or the Bundespokal? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope something happens, to be honest. Really? I'm putting myself in the bring on the playoffs camp. Yeah, I'm not married to the way competitions are. Um, I. I think that we live, uh, well, we work in what is essentially in the entertainment industry and anything that makes the sport more entertaining, I'm all for it. Um, we both live in North America. We're both very familiar with the MLS Cup playoffs, which I actually think is some of the most spectacular um, when it comes to, to a national championship way to decide a title. And um, especially last year was very exciting, mm-hmm. right? And I think anything that makes the competition more exciting is a good thing. And um, I'm not saying go straight to, like, I think one of the things that was talked about was, you know, the top four then playing a playoff. Not sure it has to be exactly that way. Um, I am, I think there's many different ways of doing it. You know, we had, uh, of course, Stefan Bianchowski on on game pressing, and he brought up the Scottish model, which is, I think, mm-hmm. also used in Austria and in Belgium. Um, 
also think would be exciting or interesting because it would guarantee more games between the top teams, right? We yeah. would get we would get Bayern against Dortmund three times rather than two times. We would get Leipzig against Bayern three times, and I think that would already make it more exciting. And um, yeah, so I think anything that breaks open encrusted structures and makes the league more exciting, I'm like, yeah, bring it on, bring up ideas, talk about it, chat about it. Um, I think that's a good thing. And it's also, in my opinion, I think this is a really big one for me. It's an acknowledgement by Bayern Munich that the way things are going isn't exactly good for the league. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Is 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 most of this to all of this uh, conversation about playoffs rooted in Bayern Munich is basically untouchable at present and that gap doesn't seem to be closing. So we've got to find a way to close it ourselves. Like, is this essentially Bayern Munich's fault that we're having this conversation? Yeah. Right. I think I think it is. Look, I mean, it's not just that's so harsh. It's not just their fault because like, <laughs> yeah, honestly, they have done amazing work over not just the last 10 years, but really since the 70s. They yep. uh we did an entire podcast on this, you know. Mm-hmm. They are very 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 well run. And I think when it comes to just the amount of time that they have well run, there is not many other teams out there that have managed the same thing. Maybe Real Madrid and then, you know, that closes the chapter of that book because like you look at the mess at Barcelona and or Manchester United or all these other clubs, like who has been consistently always this good? And there's not many other teams around there. So it is their fault, but in the end of the day, it's because they did a very good job for a very long time. Um so yeah. It is their fault, but you know, <laughs> at least they're acknowledging it that like maybe they need to reduce the head start that they have to make the league more exciting. It does seem like the reaction because it hasn't even been like we're definitely doing playoffs. This is the way forward. It's just been mentioned that they're the DFL is open to different ideas, including playoffs. I, I would say it hasn't been met with uh, universal positivity. Some people have been in favor. Some have been just wholly against, saying you don't need to to fix a not broken machine. Others argue for financial restructuring to kind of achieve a better level of competition. Are there financial reforms or adjustments you think that could lead to more parity, be it a salary cap? I know there was conversations about financial fair play within the country itself. I don't know how well that would work, but I'm wondering if you have ideas on financial reforms that could have an impact. Yeah, I think, I mean, Bayern Munich are also very much for the salary cap. Uh, that only works if everyone else also implements it, right? Um, mm-hmm. You can't just have that in Germany. It has to be European-wide, and I, I can't see England do it. You know, you have teams like Manchester City that um, spend whatever they want, and now you have Newcastle United. Um, you have all sorts of weird and interesting owners in England, and can I don't think you will be able to tell them that now you have to operate within a salary cap. Um, if they were all American owners, I think it would work. Um, but sadly, they're not. Um, there's all sorts of people there. And um, so I think that would be a hard one, uh, especially now that the UK is no longer part of the European Union, right? Um, they can sort of act a little bit like a pariah state or pariah league, even if the entire rest of the European Union agree on some sort of salary cap, they can still do whatever they want. Um, and that makes that makes that part complicated. Although I, I do think financial parity is very important and is the has to be, you know, one of the main things to make this league more competitive. Um, one of the points that I brought up in in the Game Pressing podcast though is, 
you know, you do achieve more financial priority if more different clubs win the title because money does go to the team that wins the title, right? And if you all of a sudden, let's say you are a Hoffenheim or Frankfurt and you finish in the top, let's say the top eight goes into the playoffs and somehow you win the German title, that year you make more money. And um, that gives you in the Champions League. But also then you can go and turn around to your players and say, like, why do you want to leave? Like, we just won the title. Here's all this money that we got for it. Next year, we can try to defend the title, finish high up in the league and have another run at it. And then players will say, like, oh, we just won the title. Oh, you're offering us more money. Let's stay. And that breaks open, again, it breaks open structures that have been in place for many years. Because in the end of the day, how do teams get rich? By winning titles. And if you open the floor to more teams winning titles, that's actually a good pathway to uh, increase financial priority. Thus far, though, this is all just sort of talk, and it and it feels like it might just be flash in the pan conversation. People tend to make comments about potentially adding playoffs or changing the structure every now and then. Do you feel like there is any likelihood that we have any concrete activity on this in the near future, or do you think it will just continue to be talk for the uh, for the time being? Yeah, I mean, we've had it every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the the big difference that I see with this one is that. Um, the biggest club in the country is behind it. Because you had other actors in the Bundesliga, uh, whether they're from Frankfurt or Leverkusen, uh, sort of suggest this. And it got poo-pooed really quickly, right? Uh, usually by Bayern Munich. And um, Bayern Munich is in a different place now. Um, Oli Hoeneß and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge uh, have stepped back from, from their main roles. They're still on the board, of course, but you know, they're no longer the decision makers. Uh, Oliver Kahn is now the boss and Oliver Kahn is, seems to be in favor. Um, I thought it was interesting then that Oli Hoeneß last week went on the Austrian television sta- station Servus TV, which is owned, of course, by Red Bull, um, sort of to preview the game against uh, Salzburg. And he was very vehemently against playoffs and said all sorts of things that, you know, like only the the team that finishes first after 34 games is the true champion and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that got a lot of press in Germany, but in the end of the day, um, he's no longer char- in charge of Bayern Munich. You know, he still has a lot of influence, but in the, you know, he's, he's handed it over to, to Oliver Kahn, and Oliver Kahn has very different ideas. He has a very different mindset. He's very modern and forward thinking. And, um, you know, he does all sorts of stuff also in, in the US and in Canada. And, um, he's, he's a very different person and he comes from a very different background and, I think the likes of Oliver Kahn will carry the conversation going forward. A lot of these older people are retiring. You have to also remember and Christian Seifert, the former uh, president of the Bundesliga, has now stepped down and he's replaced by Donata Hopfen, a woman. And she's also in favor. And um, I think that means there's a very different dynamic in this process than there was previously. Of course, the, the, the big obstacle are fans. And German Bundesliga fans are more traditionalist than any other fan around the world, um, which I always kind of laugh about. You know, one of the jokes I made is the very same traditionalist Bundesliga fans will complain about the Bundesliga bringing in playoffs, but then stay up late in the night to watch the Super Bowl, right? (laughs) (laughs) Which is decided by a playoff system, which is why it is so exciting. And um, I think we have to slowly come around to the ideas that nothing is ever set in stone. Nothing is forever. You know, and Germans should know this better than anyone. Like half the country 
is a country doesn't that does no longer exists like yeah. nothing is forever until it's like everything is forever until it exists no more right and that's i think uh, something that we have to remember and on top of that the bundesliga is the youngest of the all the top divisions in european football it was only founded in 1963 before that we had playoffs decide the the german championship and so it's not as new and modern and forward thinking and as deeply rooted as in tradition as some people think that said, like when the universe ends, I assume cockroaches will survive and Bayern Munich will somehow still go on to win the title. I yeah. don't know how they'll do it, but they'll find a way. So I feel like that is an ever-present thing. And that actually leads me to a serious question. Uh, I joked about this when we were doing our Champions League review on TSS this week, that they cut to the Bayern box at one point, And the number of names, the high-profile names that were there watching that game, it made me have a little bit of sympathy for Julian Nagelsmann. Because even with the success he has had, I do wonder when there is a down result like there was this week, how high pressure of a gig is Bayern Munich even when you are Julian Nagelsmann? Because I sometimes think of it as, you know, it's an easy job. Like you, you're taking over the biggest club. You just kind of keep things going and you find a way to win. But that didn't work for Nico Kovac. For someone like Julian Nagelsmann, do you think he hears about it when there's a one-to-one -one draw that should have been a win? Or do you think only when things are consistently bad does he start having words with the, uh, the board? No, remember they also lost to Bochum. This is uh, true. This is yeah, true. Yeah, um, which I, I thought was a fantastic game. Great, mm -hmm. great advertising for the league because here is a team that comes comes up from Bundesliga too, um, and Bochum has been a joy to watch at times, um, especially in the second half of the season. I was actually at the return fixture in in Munich, a game that Bayern won seven nil. Bochum have come a long way since. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's that result, and then there's the result against Salzburg. And I expected the, the Salzburg result was actually exactly what I expected. Um, you know this, of course, I'm, I do, I know Salzburg quite well. A lot of my family is from there. And I, I when I'm back home in Munich, I spend a lot of time in both Munich and in Salzburg. And um, as a result, I'm, I'm very lucky because there's two very good clubs there um, on either side of the border. And this one is a, is a derby. Not just for me, but for many people that live in both cities, right? And um, I, I thought Salzburg did exactly what we, I expected of them to do um, against the Bayern Munich side that has been struggling, especially defensively. And um, without Manuel Neuer, they're just not the same team, right? Because all of a sudden, that back three is just a back three. With Manuel Neuer, that back three is a back four because you have an extra center back playing back there. And I think that that makes makes it all very difficult. And Nagelsmann has been bringing that up about him not getting the the help, um, getting the players that he wanted, and like the club being too inactive. And I mean, it's it's kind of telling too that today the, the news got leaked that uh, Bayern are going going heavily after Gravenberg from Ajax Amsterdam, right? Um, you know exactly where that's coming from. That's that's a good news story for the fans. So, <laughs> and I, I think, you know, yes, it's a lot of pressure. Nagelsmann is under a lot of pressure. And we were both there when Kovac mm -hmm. got fired. Um, <laughs> you know, winning at Bayern Munich isn't good enough. It's, you have to win in the Bundesliga. You have to win in the Champions League. And you have to win in the Pokal. And um, they're already out of the cup. And in the Champions League, I do think they're going to go through against Salzburg, but it's going to be very hard work because there's a very good Salzburg team. They're a very good Salzburg team every year. And they they are not afraid and they have nothing to lose. And there's no more away goal rule, right? So this is essentially a 0-0 draw. 
um, which I think you, any team in the world would take a 0-0 draw at halftime against Bayern Munich. Yep. And um, so this is going to be a very interesting game, and I think he's going to be under a ton of pressure if, if he goes out against Salzburg. Um, that, do, that does feel very unlikely, but he's frustrated by the signings. I'm going to assume that he had a hand in Dio Upamecano arriving at Bayern Munich. But that has not gone to plan. Do you have an idea of what the issue is? Because I assumed he would be a rock-solid center back for them, and he has been anything but so far. Yeah, he's been a big issue, hasn't he? And I said that at the time that I wasn't convinced that Upamecano was going to be the 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 signing that Leipzig will lose, I will hurt. Word will hurt them. It's like almost like a Trojan horse sending the other way, right? And it's causing a it's causing quite a lot of problems with them. I think still that he's going to be a solid center back in this league. He's not going to be the world class center back that they hoped he would be, but he's still going to be solid down the road. But in the end of the day, it's it's interesting that his agent, Ubermecano's agent, Volker Struth, who negotiated this deal with Bayern Munich brought this player to Bayern and then negotiated with Borussia Dortmund to actually for Bayern to lose the only potential world-class centre-back that they have on a free transfer to the direct rival. Um, I think it's very interesting because he's obviously also represents Niklas Süle, right? And mm-hmm. I thought Niklas Süle was the only, was the only centre-back that they had against Salzburg. Period. Like Lucas yeah. Hernandez, they spent 80 million euros on him and I, I don't think he's a centre-back. He's not a world-class centre-back. He can probably play that role, but he's not an 80 million euro centre-back. He's not even an 80 million euro left-back. And he's something in between, which is really odd because he doesn't fit the system at all, right? And so I think when it comes to defence, it they they have bled a lot. They lost Boateng, they lost Alaba. Before that, they lost Hummels uh, to Dortmund, of course. Um, now they're losing losing Sule, and they haven't really done anything to replace those holes at all, and that's that's hurting them. And I think Nagelsmann is rightfully aggrieved about it. A whole lot more still to come from my chat with Manuel Vey, but first a word from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Regarding Sula... Uh, him going to Dortmund, that's a new one. Usually goes the other way. Know, why, eh? are, why are Bayern letting him walk? I'm assuming the answer is is just money, but uh, wondering mm. if there's anything else going on. Wertschätzung. That's a wonderful German word. Um, being appreciated. And you hear that a lot now. Thiago didn't have to feel the Wertschätzung. Alaba didn't feel it. Um, I wonder who the next Bayern Munich player is who's saying that... Um, Bayern Munich were very busy leaking 
details about what Sulis demands were to sign a new contract. And, you know, the number that was floated out there was 12 to 15 million euros. Um, I had a little birdie tell me that that was if he would have gone to Newcastle United. Mm. I mean, fair enough. Like, to go to Newcastle United, I want to have a bit more money than I would sign <laughs> for any other club. And uh, the exact numbers at Dortmund are 8 million a year, 8 million euros a year, plus 2 million euros in bonuses a year. So like the overall package can go up as high as 40 million euros over four years. Um, and that is significantly less than what Bayern Munich advertised, hmm. which tells me, and there's a bunch of other stories that they then leaked to the press, which is of course not very nice, um, that they're pretty upset <laughs> that, that, that Dortmund basically stole one of the best players. Um, this is basically the story here. Dortmund went to Sule and said like, oh, we heard you're unhappy. Um, we really want to challenge Bayern. Wouldn't it be great for you to come here and like actually win a title with us and, you know, do something very special? And Sula said yes. And Bayern didn't think that he would. Right? And this is this is essentially what happened here. So that does reverse the normal order that we've seen previously. And as I understand it, Bayern sort of like cooled a little bit on on just taking every one of Dortmund's best players. I don't know if that was an official policy. Do you feel like they might seek retribution? Do you think they're going to like redouble efforts to get Erling Haaland or will they just continue to do Bayern things and not necessarily take it out on Dortmund? Yeah, you know, I did think about that too, whether they're going to go after Erling Haaland. And um, I, I think they might try, but Erling Haaland also wants something in the region of 40 million euros a year in salary. I'm sorry, did you say four zero million? Four zero million. What? Like so and uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, Robert Lewandowski is on twenty. Wow, he wants double what Robert Lewandowski. Yeah, gets. I mean, I, he's never won the FIFA Best Striker Award. Even I don't know what Erling Holland is thinking. And he's <laughs> he misses about forty percent of all games with injuries. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of cash, and wow. I can see Bayern try, but I can't. Uh, I hope I'm not yeah. gonna. You know, I had I had lots of people tell me he's going to Real Madrid, and um, until that is of course signed and presented, and you know the famous jersey presentation and the, the pictures at the Bernabeu and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, anything is possible, of course. But I find when I hear that number, I don't know. That's not many clubs in the world can do that. Or are willing no. to do no, not that yeah. Bayern can't do, willing to do it, right? Yeah, that is the other one. Real Madrid, I mean, they, they, it's that's that's play, that's monopoly money for them, right? They they don't care. There is no financial regulations in Spain. Um, you look at Barcelona and what they're doing; like money isn't real in, in Spain. Uh, we've all learned that, and mm-hmm. so they can do whatever they want. But Bayern Munich, there's very strict financial regulations in Germany, and I don't think that this one is going to be compliant with anything that they're currently doing in the DFL. It has been an interesting week from the sense that, like, it, it's been a similar week, that is, for, for Bayern and Dortmund. Uh, Bayern losing to Bochum, as you mentioned, then having the draw with Salzburg. Dortmund previously losing uh, at home to Leverkusen. Then they get the win over the weekend. Then they get beaten uh, 
pretty handily by Rangers. I'm going to assume that, in your opinion, Dortmund had the worst week between these two clubs. Yeah, although thankfully for Dortmund, no more away goal rule. Uh-huh. Uh, um, so I can see them overturn this result in what? Scotland. Well, I don't. Well, I'm still so confused by Dortmund. I don't even know if I'm Everyone necessarily is. going to have a question here. <laughs> but fans incensed after that loss. It's two big home losses for them, uh, and I and it's just it's not what I've seen since basically like the Klopp days when there was uh, so much frustration and he had to go over and have a word with with the wall. Uh, I don't even, as I said, have a question aside from like why must Dortmund be this way? Why must they make it so difficult every season? <sighs> Yeah, that's a good question. And I mean, in the end of the day, they're only six points behind Bayern somehow. Mm-hmm. True. Um, but I think what is skating is the fact that they, it's the way when they lose, mm-hmm. they really lose that 5 2 against <laughs> yeah. Leverkusen. Uh, there was that result against St. Pauli in the Cup. This against Rangers, the defeat to Sporting in the Champions League. I mean, these are all games that they should be winning, right? And um, defensively, they're a mess. I mean, we can all now agree, I think, that Dan Axel Sakadu is not a Bundesliga defender. Somehow he's still in there. And in fairness, they have just gone out and fixed that, right? <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> there is, That's there a is, good point. There is a world-class defender coming. So in fairness, the, the board has realized this and they have fixed it. I think they need to probably sign another defender. And if Erling Haaland goes, they need to... Karim Adeyemi is coming from Salzburg. Um, and then Donny Malen, Mukuku, there's lots of young forwards. Maybe don't buy the next shining attacking talent out there somewhere for 40, 50 million euros and hope to yeah. sell them for 100. Maybe take some of that money in the earmarket for defense. Um, you know, like buy a right back, buy a left back, buy another center back and buy a defensive midfielder. Those are the four positions that I think they need to address because if they sign Adeyemi, they already have Donil Malen, and I think Donil Malen is he works very hard and in the right setup, and the right setup doesn't currently exist because they have Haaland. He will be a good player. Mukuku is going to develop into a good player. Um, so that's three forwards already. Marco Royce is still going to be there. Gio Reyna is still going to be there. Torgen Hazard is still going to be there. Don't bring in another attacker, is my mm-hmm. what I'm saying. It's like bring in a bring in a good center mid, defensive mid. You know, bring in someone who can hold together the glue, bring in another center back. And I know I, I got laughed at a little bit on Twitter when I suggested this. Bring back Matthias Ginter. He's on a free transfer. Just bring him back. Hmm. You know, like just you sign him for free. You sign two center backs that are better than what you have right now for nothing. You know, all you need to do is pay the agent and the player. And um, you fill two major holes there. And then you spend big money on, on a defensive midfielder. That's a. Uh, Bundesliga title, potential Bundesliga winning title club. Mm-hmm. You know, because next year is going to be way more tricky because Leipzig, I think, is going to challenge for the title next year. And um, so you have to do something. You have to address those those gaping holes in, in your club. And you have to keep a very close eye on Rosa as well because um, he's showing signs of what he's done at, towards the end of his, his time at Gladbach. And um, when things go really bad 
under him, they go really bad under him. I mean, this Rangers result was a good example. It was like, I didn't see any structure in, in that game at all. And that's a bit on him as well. What do you mean when you say when things like, I mean, I understand what you mean when you say when things go bad, they go really bad. But what are the things that are sort of familiar to Rosa when things go bad? Yeah, at Gladbach, you had that in the last year, too, after he announced he was going to leave. Oh, yeah. Um, there's just no structure in that game. Hmm. And, you know, that we criticized Lucien Favre for having too much structure and, um, you know, being too stuck on his tactics. Well, with Rosa, it's almost the opposite. In the end of the day, it's uh, Marco Royce rescuing them, Erling Haaland rescuing them. You know, it's these individual performances, uh, Guerrero hammering in one from 30 meters out. You know, it's all these, like, all these individuals doing something to rescue Borussia Dortmund. I, I don't see any cohesion there. And um, that's on him, uh, 100%. And it's interesting that they were supposedly, although the club sort of uh, shut that down, um, this morning of a crisis meeting and Dortmund saying, okay, well, as long as you secure a top four finish, which I, you know, you look at the standings, they're going to get a top four finish. Um, that's good enough for us, but give me a break. Like you can't lose four, two to Rangers at home. I'm sorry, but this is, that's unacceptable. There's 60, there was 60, there was a 60 minute junk of that game, which in my opinion is a fireball offense. Well, my next question was going to be, does this mean Rangers is now the second best team of the Bundesliga? I won't ask you that. Instead, I will ask you, or maybe to summarize, at first I felt like maybe there were very similar issues between Bayern and Dortmund in that it was maybe more a talent issue when it came to the defensive problems versus a technical or a tactics issue. Now it seems maybe like it is a talent issue for Bayern, but it's both a talent and uh, tactics issue for Dortmund. So is it more of a combination of the two for Borussia Dortmund? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Um, Bayern have the right tactics. I mean, they have to, they're probably one of the best head coaches in the world. And uh, Nagelsmann is trying to fix a situation that is not his own doing. And in the end of the day, they only conceded one goal somehow against against uh, Salzburg, a Salzburg attack that um, with Adeyemi and Aronson and Okafor, who then went off and got replaced by Adamu. Um, very fast and very difficult to play against. Like Someone asked me on Twitter, where, was, where would Salzburg be in the Bundesliga? And I just looked at their overall squad value and like, they'd be right, right in the top six. It's a very good team, hmm. right? And a very fast team. It's the sort of team that Bayern hate to play against. You know, and they... If they were in the Bundesliga, they would probably hurt them once or twice a year as well, similar to, for example, what Gladbach or Frankfurt do, right? Um, they're a good team, and they know how to play football, and they have some of the world's best talent in their team, and they're young and dynamic, and everyone there wants to have a big move to a big club, so they play the hard out. They're, they're like Ajax. And um, so Nagelsmann, even though he only had one centre-back and not the best goalkeeper in the world to his availability, he still, he still managed a one-run draw there. And in, in the end of the day, I think that's going to be enough. Whereas Marco Rose played against a Glasgow Rangers side that is not, nothing like Salzburg. You know, they uh, a team in a, playing in a stale league, a club that is maybe coming up again a little bit. But, you know, in the end of the day... Um, they would get steamrolled by almost all, all the other Bundesliga teams. And um, I think what happened, there was a chunk in that game where I just thought, like, based on that alone, 
I would put Rose's job in question. You know, there was there was a moment in there where Dortmund were just completely falling apart, and I was like, "This is unacceptable." Like that's that's like it's the equivalent of this happening to a second division side. That just can't happen. That is all very, very interesting. I will say, though, I think the big takeaway for listeners, and I need uh, them to take to Twitter to make sure that everybody knows, because Manuel didn't correct me, we can now go ahead and say Manuel thinks that uh, Salzburg would be a top six team, Rangers would be the second best team in the Bundesliga. Let's just go ahead and say that Manuel definitely claimed that, and before I give him an opportunity to reject that idea, you mentioned uh, Leipzig challenging for the title next season. Uh, I'm assuming that means that you think Domenico Tedesco has done a fairly good job. Uh, He's got them back in the Champions League places. Do you think he's a candidate for manager of the season if they keep this going? Oh man, he's been really good. He's definitely proven me wrong. Um, I had huge doubts about him getting appointed there. But boy, like that game against Real Sociedad, um, I thought that was the best game I've seen all week. Interesting. And then Real Sociedad, by the way, were really good too. I mean, that was two really good teams playing against each other and um, I made this point, like so many people had their doubts about the away goal rule being gone. There was 3.65 goals on average in the Europa League this week. All right, Europa League, scoring some goals. Yeah. I like it. Leipzig also scoring some goals and doing some things. And, I mean, that was that game was just spectacular. I think Leipzig on balance should have probably won it. Um, Guardiola made um, a very terrible mistake in the box so like like the same mistakes like do made with that handball right mm-hmm. putting his hand up and um but i think where the difference is between for me between guardiola and sakadu is like in guardiola you can tell that guy is going to be a beast i mean mm-hmm. um what a signing incredible that is going to be he's going to be one of the best center backs in the bundesliga this in, in the coming years he's only 20 years old and he he plays he has all the things that you need he's aggressive He's strong. Um, he's very aware of what he's doing other than that handball. I know it's, <laughs> I'm bringing that handball up, but it's like, you know, he's only 20, a mistake, a blackout can happen, but he's going to be a beast. And I, I thought Sima Khan, the other center back that they signed, was really good as well. And I, I think that's a huge difference to what Bayern and Dortmund did in the offseason, right? And this is something I actually pointed out already last year. Um, during the summer is like unlike Bayern and Dortmund Leipzig actually went out and signed two of the most talented center backs available on the planet um, to replace two center backs that were good right Konate and Ubermecano were good but they laughed their way all the way to the bank for the money that they got for those two guys because Konate had like an enormous injury history before they sold him to Liverpool and Upamecano, they weren't 100% convinced by him and they took some of that money and brought in uh, these two guys who are going to be world class without exit clauses for both of them. And um, in Tedesco now, they have a coach who gets the best out of them. And I think in, with that in mind, I think Leipzig are going to challenge for the title, especially because all their attacking players, whether it's Enkunku, Silva, Olmo, Soboslai, all none of them have exit clauses. And they have come out publicly saying no one is getting sold in the summer. And that gives the Desco a lot to play with. Hey folks, more still to come, but first a quick break to hear from some sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. You've preempted my question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and you can answer it in spirit. Who is the player that they can, or the players that they can least afford to lose this summer? Who would you say if they came to you and said, okay, never mind, we might sell somebody. Who should we definitely not get rid of? Who is that player, Manuel? And Kunku. That's kind of what I figured it was going to be. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know you're a United fan. They're going to try, of course. Yeah. Uh, I don't yeah, they're going to do the Man United thing of underbid like 15 times and then offer double on deadline day or something like that. It's going to be Sancho 2.0 and they're going to try and they're going to try and they're going to try and Leipzig is going to keep saying no and no and no and no and then like you're going to have those two Muppets at Sky England talk about how it's like only a matter of hours and knowing Mm -hmm. full well that they know nothing. Um, you're going to have a guy show up in, in, at the Kotterweg in Leipzig and like interviewing people, Germans looking confused in the camera about like, who's going to leave? Like nobody. That It's going to be the same story again. And I like, don't love how clear of a picture you're painting right now because it hey, does feel like what's going to happen. Exactly. It's going to yeah. happen. And everyone is going to laugh about it like they did Yay. with Sancho two years ago. Um, yeah. I I just can't see them do it. If there's no exit clause and they're in power, they're not going to do it. So we're talking about some teams that are having a, a fun season. Let's talk about some teams that are not. Let's start with Wolfsburg. Uh, they sold Wutz Weghorst. We've talked about him many times. And I think my question for you was always, is he going to stay or is he going to go? He is gone to Burnley in January. Did they spend any of that money in January to make up for it? How will they replace his goals uh, that have been fairly consistent for them? That seems like it's going to be a big issue for uh, Wolfsburg. Yeah, I mean, they did, they did win a couple games now. Yeah, this is true. This is true. <laughs> uh, because they brought in Max Kruse. Mm-hmm. That's, I always question whether Florian Kofeld has a plan B. I guess his plan B was to just sign Max Kruse and hope for the best. And so far, that has worked out. Um, they also brought in uh, Sand, right, from Copenhagen mm-hmm. for, for quite a decent amount of money. And um, he's, he's looked good. Um, I think that they they realized that with Woodvig was the pathway was going to having to sell him because Wood wasn't always the easiest character there. Yeah. Right. And uh, I mean, he made headlines to, about the fact that he was an anti-vaxxer. I mean, that's his own personal opinion, but that was creating problems in the dressing room because everyone else is vaccinated and, you know, he couldn't do things like um, take him to certain hotels and so on. And um, they, he had some other world views that were apparently very interesting. So I think yeah. when Wolfsburg got the money, they were like, okay, here, bye. <laughs> Good luck at Burnley. And um, I think it's telling that ever since he's gone, it's gotten better. Sometimes, you know, there's, if there's a cancer in the dressing room, you have him cut him out. 
I did not know that he held some of those views. I think we've praised him pretty openly on the show thus far. Maybe I'll back off of that. Uh, well, he's a good slightly. player. I mean, yeah. you have to always separate between what true, they're on the true. field and what they're off the field. And everyone is free to for their own views. Um, but when the views are becoming an issue in the dressing room, then maybe you'd have to send the views somewhere else. Do you get the sense that he was like the locker room issue or a locker room issue for Wolfsburg? Because I was read a couple different things about their season so far, and there are many different conflicting reports of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you you look at how much better they have been without him, mm-hmm. and that is, in my opinion, very telling. Mm-hmm. All right. My my other question about them would be, uh, and this is like sort of done at this point because Mark Van Bommel has gone, but I, I think of them as a fairly consistently well-run club. Maybe that is mistaken, but why did they replace Oliver Glasner with a manager that seemed basically opposed to the style of play that had gotten Wolfsburg to the position they were in? Do you have any idea as to why they went for Mark Van Bommel? I understand why they switched and went to... Uh, to Florian Kohlfeld after him, but that feels like it wasn't quite the natural progression of managers. Mm, did you know that they wanted Domenico Tedesco last summer? I did not. And now, you, now everyone knows. Um, <laughs> 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 and that would have made a lot more sense now in hindsight, right? And yeah, it definitely would have. It would have. I I, I would have probably been just as confused as when Leipzig did it. Um, but now seeing what Tedesco's been doing lately, um, I think they'll probably be in a very different position. Hmm. Are you feeling more optimistic about them for the rest of the season, though, Wolfsburg? Because I, I believe for a brief period of time they were flirting with that relegation zone. Less so these days with those two straight wins you mentioned. Yeah, I, I'm still not a big fan of Florian Kohfeldt. Mm-hmm. I know... Um, his plan B, he, I, I always criticized him for not having a plan B, and I guess his plan B was to bring Max Kruse in. Yep. Fair enough, it worked so far. Um, they are separating themselves a little bit from the relegation zone. I mean, it's tied, right? Like, essentially from 11th to 16th, it's just three points. And you have to remember the team that's 17th uh, is Stuttgart with 18 points. And I, I, I have said it last time I was on the show, and I stick to my guns. I don't think they're going to go down. Um, because they simply have too much quality. Mm-hmm. Or sooner or later, they're going to turn things around. That means someone else will have to, um, possibly Augsburg. Um, and then someone else will have to go into that relegation playoff spot. And that's like, yeah, they're like, the, the two wins were important for them, but anyone below Mines has to essentially look over their shoulder and worry. One, one of those clubs that is below mines would be uh, Arminio Bielefeld, signed George Bello in January. Do you like that move for him? And what style of play do you think uh, fans of his should expect when they tune in to watch him? Play? I like that move a lot. Yay! I like, I like that. Yay! Positive um, things. Positive things. I liked it a lot because I did not expect Bielefeld to make that sort of move at a mm. first glance. And I think I also put that on Twitter. But then I also was like, yeah, but they also have Kramer in charge, who previously worked at uh, Liefering and, and the Red Bull Salzburg setup, right? And so with that in mind, I'm like, yeah, actually, that makes sense why he would do this, because he wants like a high-pressing wing-back sort of player who's flexible, can play many different positions. Um, he's obviously open to new ideas, which would also include bringing in an American, right? Mm-hmm. Um 
and he plays a really high pressing counter pressing game it's very attractive actually Bielefeld is one of those smaller teams that similar to Bochum have really impressed me and yes they're going to battle relegation the entire season um that's just where that's just the nature of being the club that they are right Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if they'd managed to avoid relegation, that'd be like the German championship for them. And that's fair enough. That's that's fine. There's no nothing wrong with that. But what I thought was really impressive too is the the manner that they got him and the, the, the structured deal that they managed to sign him because Bella would have been without a contract at the end of the year, right? They're essentially paying uh, 600000 up front and then that deal can go to $1.8 million. Uh, euros at the end or, or dollars, I think, at the end of the of the season, um, if certain performance metric uh, in incentives are met, and that's a good deal because I had someone, I had an agent phone me when the when the deal was in the works and like, oh, what do you know about this deal? And I'm like, yeah, I think it's pretty much done. Uh, Bielefeld is telling me it's pretty close, and these are the numbers, and he's like, they can make that money back as early as this summer. You by, mean by selling, selling him on, okay. yeah, by selling him on, I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, Bello is this good. Like, hmm. someone, someone will see him play five, six games at a high level in the Bundesliga and come in and double that price. That is amazing because that seems to be essentially uh, Frank Kramer's thesis statement. I, I think of. Yeah the movie Moneyball or the book Moneyball uh, in relation to Bielefeld and Kramer. It's sort of like Billy Bean in that their strategy, as I understood it, is basically looking for players that have 18 months to six months remaining on their contracts that are young and have high potential to make money down the road. That seems like a very smart way to get young talent in, make money off of it and build up your strength that way. Uh, So basically I'm just wondering if that checks out number one and number two, uh, if that means that we should all be rooting for Bielefeld. Yes and yes. Um, right. I think it's. A, I, I couldn't. Like I just looked at this deal and when it unfolded, I just thought, "Wow, this is such a smart piece of business." Yeah, you know, this is the kind of business where I, I just admire the thinking behind it because there's so many deals out there, and, and you know, I work for Transfermarkt, so I mm-hmm. see them all, and uh, I get information behind the scenes from from people that we work with, and and sometimes. I just shake my head and I just think, like, what? When this one, I was, it came, A, it came out of nowhere. And B, and I was just like, this is so smart. This is like, this is so smart. Why are not more clubs doing it? Well, let's, talk, let's talk about some of those signings then. Because uh, as you said, you're, you're monitoring a lot of them. You know the values. You know what's going on. It seems like you like the George Bello transfer. I like it a lot. That's actually my, my uh, Bundesliga transfer of the winter. Okay, that you've once again anticipated well, man. Well, what are what are some <laughs> other ones that you liked a lot? And then obviously, I'm going to ask you which ones you did not like as much. Well, there wasn't much going on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that Wolfsburg selling Weichhorst and bringing in Sand, I think that could turn out to be a very smart piece of business. Uh, I think that's that's going to be very interesting. Um, I am curious to see how Kevin Paredes mm-hmm. is going to develop there. Um, obviously Wolfsburg were looking for a young, talented American player to bring in. Um, they worked very hard on Ricardo Pepe. They had that deal agreed until Augsburg came in. A Mr. Blitzer um, helping Augsburg mm-hmm. to spend $18 million. I still can't believe this. This number is so high. $18 million on a striker um, who has never played in a top-four league. Um, you know, outbidding Wolfsburg. Outbidding Volkswagen, you know. Hmm. Um, 
and they did bring in Kevin Paredes. I, I personally, Kevin Paredes was also very high on Salzburg's list. And whenever I see a player very high on Salzburg's or Leipzig's list, I'm like, yeah, that's a good player. <laughs> I just you just know right you just know that that player is going to be good if if Salzburg like if Red Bull have mon- a monitoring a player that player is going to be good and um so I I knew that Kevin Paredes is going to be good but it wasn't really a player that necessarily uh, was something that they needed right away right so I kind of see it as something where they said okay we really want to bring in an American talent um we want to develop him and um, give him the time and they, they saw an opportunity there to get him right away um, because DC United were willing to sell and um, they got it for a structured deal that I think was a bit higher than what I expected and that's probably why Salzburg didn't do it um, but at the end of the day I think it's going to be an interesting deal. So you like the Bella move, you think Paredes is interesting. Are there any that you don't like that happened in January? Oh, is there any that I don't like? Mm-hmm. You can just be positive. Positivity is the way to go. Yeah, I don't actually saw... There wasn't much that happened. I perhaps don't like the fact that Bayern didn't do anything. Mm. Right? right. Um, That is, I think, something where... Something where they have to say, okay, well, this is is something that's going to hurt them now. Um, I did think that... That Gladbach, you know, Gladbach had a lot of issues in in, in this window. Um, them not being able to move on Matthias Ginter, uh, which clearly they wanted to, um, and they didn't bring in Marvin Friedrich already as a replacement. Um, they did do well getting a little bit for Dennis Zakaria, of course, but um, I think them not moving on Ginter is something that's that's going to create some issues. I actually did speak to Joe Scully about it yesterday, right? He was quite positive. Um, in the interview that I did with him on Transfermarkt about how things are going with Gladbach. But at the same time, that's something that I'm going to keep an eye on. And then, like, yeah, I think there weren't really too many negatives um, just simply because there wasn't that much business. You said something a moment ago that I am now fascinated by. Uh, you you noted that Paredes was on Salzburg's list, which implies that you know Salzburg's list of players they're keeping an eye on. Is, is there is there a spreadsheet? Can I see the spreadsheet? How do you know what's on the list? Uh, I don't know every player on uh-huh. the list. Uh-huh. Go, ahead and, go ahead and walk it back now. Go ahead and walk it back. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, I don't know every player on the list. Um, I just know when there is certain players that are potentially on the list, and then someone tells me that they're on the list. Um, they is, have, it lot, is it a lot of MLS players? Are, they, are, are there a decent number on there? Oh, they have a know. club in MLS. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would make sense. <laughs> so the scouting is, mm-hmm. uh, so let's say it's in depth. Okay. Right? Okay. Um, I think when you are a young American talented player, then you're probably on their radar. And I think that is something to always keep an eye on. I, I know that they were very high on Kevin Paredes. Um, I think they would have probably moved for him if they had opted to sell Brandon Aronson in the winter, but they made it quite clear that they didn't want to sell Brandon Aronson in the winter, especially not to the club that was interested because of what's going on with uh, between Leeds and uh, RB Leipzig, right? Um, and I know those teams are completely separate entities, have nothing to do with each other, so like all everything is separate. But um, 
So, you know, they would have maybe moved for Paredes if they had sold Aronson, um, but they didn't because they wanted to have this two spectacular ma- matches against Bayern hmm. and they didn't want to sell, they don't want to sell Aronson to Leeds. So, um, yeah, I, I think Leipzig and Salzburg and the entire Red Bull group, uh, whether it is through their club in New York, but also in their, they have a, have a very exciting project in Brazil as well mm-hmm. with Red Bull Bragantino and there's a, a couple of players um, that you're probably going to see move from that direction to Germany as well. Um, they have a very extensive list of players and Paredes mm-hmm. was definitely on it. Well, since we have the Total Soccer Show, I'm going to continue to ask you about Americans for a moment. You mentioned uh, Joe Scally. Saw an article, an interview with him today where he uh, indicated he's had zero contact with Greg Berhalter or the U.S. camp. Are you surprised by that based on what he's done this season, especially recently? Or do yeah. you see logic in why he's not getting called in? No, I don't see logic in that. Right. I mean, honestly, if you are right back starting in the Bundesliga, you should be in the U.S. national team. Um. That's my full evaluation of this. I don't understand why there's some guys ahead of him um, and where the logic comes in that. And yes, he has. I saw some people saying, oh, he hasn't played the last four days. He had COVID. Hmm. You know, like he missed the Bayern game because he had COVID. And he's been since slowly being brought back into the team. And look at Alfonso Davies, like what he's going through after having COVID, right? And... Uh, People have to realize that, like, that's an infection. Mm-hmm. Like, I think both you and I have friends who had COVID and yep. seen what it means to have it. And some people just walk away from it. Some people take some time to get better. And, um, you know, in the end of the day, yeah, Joe Scully hasn't been a full time starter for Gladbach in the last, I think, four games, right? But he also had COVID four weeks ago. So <laughs> give the boy a break. And right. I, I find it interesting that he got called up for the Jamaica game, right? Um, mm-hmm. didn't feature. And then he said, and I had to listen back to the tape twice. He said, like, he was asked whether there was contact and he's like, no, no contact. And that mm-hmm. I find odd. Just that there's been no communication at all? No. It's like, it, I can ensure you that Hurtman phoned Davies when he heard that he had COVID. Oh, I see what you, I see what you mean. Sorry, I misunderstood. That's interesting. Because that not is... even like whether what the plants or anything like is this normal in the U.S. camp? I I don't know the U.S. camp well enough, but like I know one of the things that Hansi Flick do yeah. does on like also that like John Herbman does really well is to talk to all his players all yeah. the time, even if they don't got called up. No, I think I think you're correct, and I think that is a thing that Burhalter does historically. It's it's a thing that helped him with some of the the dual national recruitment. But you'll hear players talk about that about how he's messaging them clips or, like clips of their performances or things he wants them to work on. So that is even more telling. I hadn't really thought about that. That yeah, if he's not communicating with somebody, doesn't necessarily mean that they won't be included down the road. But it definitely means that they're not in the plans right now. So that's a little bit troubling. Also troubling is how many Americans are looking to be uh, involved in the relegation battle for the rest of this season. We've got uh, Bello and Bielefeld in 15th, Ricardo Pepe in Augsburg in 16th, uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo, Stuttgart in 17th, and uh, Julian Greens, Gruthefirth in 18th. Is it safe to say that an American or two is getting relegated? Yeah, I mean, you look at that list, right? Um Interestingly enough, with Stuttgart, they said that even if Pellegrino Matarazzo gets relegated, he's still going to be in the job. 
That's how highly they rate him. I think they're realistic enough to know that with all the stuff that's happened, and I think I've outlined that uh, on the last show that we did together, right? It's not his fault. <laughs> you know, like, you're talking about all the circumstances that they went through. I think two full COVID outbreaks, uh, three of you, like, three or four of your best players out with long-term injuries, only just coming back. Um, that's mitigating circumstances. And I think that's actually not not the worst thing in the world to do either. You look at Freiburg. Like, Freiburg never fired their coach. Streich has been in place for, I think it's been 10 years now. And he's gone down with Freiburg and they haven't fired him because they, they know he does good job, does a good work there. And when they do down, uh, when they do go down, then... You know, you just rebuild with him because you know you have the best coach available. And it looks like Stuttgart are taking a bit of um, taking that as an example. Mm -hmm. And I think that's smart because Pellegrino Matarazzo is a great coach. It's not his fault. Like sometimes it's just not in your power. Like what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do when you have 10 guys available because the rest of them are like sick at home with COVID, right? Or you're like... Uh, Silas is out with an ACL and like uh, Kalajic, who's your best striker, is out with a major injury. Like, there's only so much you can compensate. And the Bundesliga only has 18 teams. It's not like in England where there's 20, right? Um, the, the likelihood of a bad season causing you to go down is much higher there than it is in any of the other top four leagues. Who do you think is most likely to be in that final? So if it is maybe Stuttgart going down, if it is Gruther Firth as well, who do you think is most likely to end up in that playoff spot? Well, so I do think that Stuttgart, I don't know why I'm so optimistic about them. You maybe because they have, yeah, I think they're still going to dig it out. All right. Um, I would be fine with that. I think that it's going to be really tough because I think Augsburg are going to go straight down. Hmm. Um, and then like you will probably see one of the big sides in that relegation playoff spot. And that happens more often than you think, right? And um, then it's going to be, of course, very interesting to see who's going to be in that relegation playoff spot from Bundesliga 2. Because right now, that team is HSV. Um, Hamburg, right? Mm-hmm. And Bundesliga 2 right now is fascinating because you have St. Pauli at, at first with 41 points and you have yeah, Bremen, you Bremen second with 41. You have Hamburg third with 40. Darmstadt fourth with 40. And then you have Schalke fifth with 40 points. And then you have Heidenheim in sixth with 38. So you have essentially six teams for three spots. Two, two if you just take the direct promotion spots. All within shouting distance of one another. So you could get I don't know, Hertha against HSV in the playoffs. Wow. That would be fairly high profile. It's more than possible. All right. All right. Or, Glad- or Gladbach against HSV, or Gladbach against Schalke, or uh, um, Bremen against, who else is in there? Uh, Bremen Wolfsburg, against Wolfsburg or something yeah. like that. It's more than possible. Could Dortmund have a really, really, really bad run and we get Dortmund versus Schalke in a playoff? Let's make that happen. Um, you can't because <laughs> no team with more than 40 points has ever finished in Fine. the relegation spot. <laughs> well, then my final question for you, which is a little bit more rooted in reality. Uh, if Augsburg were to get relegated with the money they've spent, is that going to be a problem for them with uh, Pepe playing in Bundesliga 2? Or do you think that's a thing that they can sustain uh, ideally going right back up after one season. Yeah, they're not going to get that money back anytime soon, are they? Nope. Um, yeah, 
it's an interesting question that I've been pondering <laughs> myself too. Um, Man, well, sometimes I, when my wife says interesting, she means it was bad. So sometimes when I do something, it was just an interesting choice. I feel like you use interesting in a similar way. Yeah, because like I don't, still don't understand why like his camp didn't push to go to Wolfsburg. I want. Do you think it was just money, or do you think it was maybe well, more? Yeah, of, an well, of course it was. Right so they, 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 Augsburg paid eight million more than Wolfsburg was willing to pay. Oh, no, I mean to Pepe though. Yeah, it Pepe must have was, been. Okay. It must have been because, like, honestly, like, yeah. I mean, well negotiated by Dallas. Like, let's give them a round of applause. They're like, <laughs> well done. Um, they set everything in motion to get more money. And that's, that's, they're right. Um, you know, and that's what they're supposed to do. And, um, the, it's the Hunt family it is, right? That, that runs that club. Well done. Good job. I mean, congrats. That's, that's how you negotiate a deal. Um, and I'm sure was, I'm sure Dallas yeah. fans are super excited for them to not reinvest that into the squad, even if they say oh, no. They signed they, Vel- they signed Velasco for right, lots of go. money. All right, yeah, sure. And they got right. uh, Paul Ariola as well. Yeah, they're spending yeah. some money. You're right. Yeah, I'm, being, yeah. I'm being too cynical. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean you're not wrong, but um, <laughs> you know Dallas do not exactly spend a lot of money. Um, but they they also like they have this pipeline of talented players, so they don't really need to. But that's that's a side the point. Like it's really interesting. Like I'm. I, I'm really curious to see what happens if Augsburg do go down. Mm-hmm. Like, how are they going to compensate that? And we just like talked about Bundesliga too. That's not an easy competition to come out of because you just know that mm-hmm. one or two of Hamburg, Bremen, and Schalke are still going to be down there. And then you add like Ham- Hannover, Nuremberg, um, whoever comes up from Bundesliga too, right? Um, like there's, there's a lot of big teams that go down there and don't come back for a while. And then, and and you're talking about bigger clubs. Would you put Augsburg on that list? No, like these yeah. teams are all bigger than Augsburg. Mm-hmm. I mean, I forgot Fortuna Düsseldorf, who are currently on a relegation oh, yeah. playoff spot, the other direction. And, and then we've been there. That's a, that's a, that's a city of a million people with a 50,000 people stadium. Like these teams are all big. And the Bundesliga two is like, that's a shark tank. Because uh, like it's so even, right? Yeah. All right. Well, so we can be somewhat optimistic about some Americans, less so about others. Manuel, any other things that you found particularly interesting from this Bundes- Bundesliga season, or do you think that we've covered enough ground for today? Yeah, I think it's. I'm, you know, the the, the league appears to be over with Bayern having won it, but I think there's still some really interesting stuff going on in terms of. The, the Europa League race, the Champions League race, like relegation is going to be fascinating. I think we're not going to find out who's going down until the very end. And like, I, I think they're playing right now as we're recording. So when we're done here, I'm going to watch the rest of this game. But Leverkusen, mm-hmm. like, they've been so good. Like, really, really good. Like, really, really good. Like, such a good... Like, just the football that they're playing... And the, the signings that they've made, I, I, bringing in Andrich as a defensive midfielder, like that's the sort of move that Dortmund had, should have done, right? And he could be in the national team player soon. Like he came from Union Berlin, and he's he's added so much. And I think in Wirtz, they probably have maybe the most talented attacking player in Europe at the moment. Um, and Patrick Schick has been scoring like for fun, and um, he's he's one of those names mentioned as a possible Haaland replacement. Although I don't know why he would go from Leverkusen mm-hmm. to, to Dortmund at the moment if you have everything you need there. But like, yeah, I think 
really fun club and um you know lots of people always make fun of of neverkusen but right now they're a ton of fun to watch uh so much so that I'm going to ask you about that. Uh, you, you say interesting things, Manuel. You prompt more questions. Uh, Leverkusen are a, an oddity to me. I'm looking at their recent results. I think it was uh, sixth last season, fifth before, fourth before that, fifth before that, currently in third. Is it just that they end up selling very good players that keeps them from making that final leap? What is it that holds Leverkusen back from being in that title challenge conversation more regularly or even winning a title here and there more regularly. Yeah, and they losing the best players. Yeah. It's always tough. Easy enough. Right? Leverkusen is kind of sandwiched between Düsseldorf and Köln. And uh I mean they they have of course Bayer, the corporation, um as their backbone, but at the end of the day it's not exactly a mega city. Um although I think all the players live in Cologne and in Düsseldorf, in fairness. Um Joe Scully lives in doesn't live in Gladbach, by the way. He revealed that he lives in Düsseldorf. <laughs> Interesting. It's a good place to live. I like yeah, it there. Very different of course, yeah, very different, right, than small Leverkusen mm-hmm. um or Gladbach. And so I think it's a maybe with that in mind, but I think it's just also a little bit their model. You just know that maybe not next summer, but the summer after they're going to sell Viets for like a crazy amount of money. Right. Yeah, man, it's crazy because I kind of hadn't just gone back and looked. But now that you mention it, going back to 2015-16, they sell uh, Seon Hyung Min. Then the season after that, we've got Christoph Kramer on the move. And then mm. from there, we've got Hakan Chalanolu, Kevin Campbell, Bern Leno, Benjamin Heinrichs, man, Julian Brandt. It goes on. They keep selling people. Kai Havertz, Kevin Volland. Yeah. All right. I guess it's tough if you're, if you're having those outbound uh, transfers on the regular. Yeah. And you just know that, like, Chick is going to be next. Yeah. Um, they already, like, signed a replacement, right, from Sinit Sada Asmoon. Um, you know that he's going to be like the medium long-term replacement. And then um, Wirtz, is, Wirtz is going to a big club um, in England or in Spain or maybe within Germany uh, for lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of money. And um, yeah, but that's just the reality. That's just how it is. All right. Genuinely, my final question for you. Uh, in terms of like the most stable clubs in the Bundesliga, maybe Bayern Munich aside, because Bayern yeah. Munich is Bayern Munich, is Leverkusen one of those clubs that you think of as as doing a good job of developing young players, selling them on when the moment is right, reinvesting that wisely? Like, do do they just run a smart club? Yeah, they do. Okay, they really do. I, and then I've I've been to the club. I've, um, we've actually had Simon Rolfes on one of our gig pressing podcasts, mm-hmm. the sporting director. Um, I've, I have been lucky enough to meet him a couple of times. Uh, he does a very good job. And before it was Woody Fuller, uh, who's now the, the CEO of the club, um, sort of got promoted over. And like, um, he did a good job before him. And before Rudi Fuller was Rainer Kalmund, who was like, uh, what we call a manager back in Germany, right? Not, not the head coach, but the manager. Um, now we use the more modern term sporting director. And he did a fantastic job. Um, and they have been doing this for a while. You know, Leverkusen was one of the first clubs in Germany to go into South America. Hmm. Get to, they have connections there. We are there. Um, we are there. Um, one of the affiliates from Bayer, you know, productions. And so they had connections there. Oh, yeah. And I also keep an eye out on uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, both the, the company has an HQ in New Jersey and an HQ in 
in St. Louis and uh, keep an eye on uh, Bayer also doing something in MLS. Um, I think this is the next market that they're going to, to break into and um, exploring. And so you can probably see them doing something where they will try to target more um, North American players as well, right? Um, and they're very good at this. They're very good at finding a niche market, going into the niche market, exploring the market, getting the most money out of it, and then moving on to the next market before it becomes hot. They were in Argentina and Brazil before anyone else was. And um, now that that market is a bit too expensive, they've sort of diversified it a little bit and gone into other markets. It's very interesting. They're very, very well run. Um, and they have been for a long time. And every once in a while, they have a bad season. But that's also because just the way they're, they they operate as a club. So basically, an energy drink company and an aspirin company are yeah. dividing up uh, all of the all of the young players in the world. Well, it's like you know, people always complain about this stuff, but there's a reason why big corporations are successful. And when they go into a business like football, they will be more successful there as well because mm-hmm. they just have a very different mindset and very different way of operating. Lots of people who work in football are not very smart and don't make always the most yeah, straightforward, interesting decisions. Because if you come in from a corporate world, you just see numbers and you see you see spreadsheets. And sometimes that can lead to disaster, but oftentimes it actually leads to success because you say you see the numbers and you see the success rate. And uh, we're talking about Billy Beans and the change that he brought mm-hmm. to MLB. Like every Every corporation thinks like Billy Beans. Like it's not revolutionary what he did. He just took something that's done in every other, True. every other enterprise on this planet, and took and, and applied it to sport because it's, that's a smart, rational thing to do. It's just that oftentimes football is not smart and rational, which is why we get some very silly decision making. All right, Billy Bean overrated. Rangers, the second best team in Germany. Man, I'm not late. saying I'm not <laughs> saying that Billy Bean is overrated. I actually think Billy Bean was very smart and is doing something that everyone else in the world is doing by looking at naked numbers and say, like he just took the obvious and applied it to something that you should obviously apply it to, um, which is smart because not many people think that way. All right. All right. Well, that's probably a more optimistic and positive note to end on. Manuel, thank you so much. (laughs) If people want to read more from you or hear more from you, how can they do so? Yeah, just uh, follow me on Twitter, I guess. That's um, yeah, that'll do it. where most of my rumblings are on, um, <laughs> at Manuel Vef, so uh, M-A-N-U-E-L-V-E-T-H. Um, you can find all my stuff on there. And, like, of course, I, I run uh, Transfermarkt.us, mm-hmm. so lots of the transfer news are on there. And I do um, five articles a month for Forbes, so you can find that as well. And then, of Busy course, I, Stefan, Bia, Stefan Bienkowski and I do the Gegen Pressing podcast. So essentially what we just did today, we yep. do once or sometimes now twice a week, depending on it. Um, there you go. That's how it starts. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, so you can seven find days well. a week, man. No, like, I don't week. think we can. I mean, like Stefan is just as busy as I am. Yeah. Um, we're lucky when we get a second show out a week. And like usually what, what we found, we did a Twitter space the other day and then took that recording and put it on the podcast. Like we did a Twitter space on Nicolas Sula transfer. And that did really well. We were actually really surprised. And you know, like what I really liked about that is we heard from all the people that usually listen to our show that we don't even realize listen to our show. Hmm. And it was really nice to hear from people. And then the feedback that we've got, been getting the last few weeks because we've been, it's hard to interact, right? Like mm-hmm. you just, you see the naked number, you get 
uh, a couple thousand listeners, but you don't realize that there's actually real people behind it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. And it's so nice to actually hear from them and what it means for them that there is this show out there that they can listen to it. And yeah, I just want to give them a shout out. I, I, I think it's really wonderful that they listen to the content that we produce, but that they also enjoy it. And I think that's great. CSS listeners, you're okay as well. We like you too. We like them <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot. I meant, I meant them as well. I meant like everyone <laughs> who actually listens yeah. to the content that we produce. I think that's, I, I think that's a wonderful thing, and I really want to say sure. that I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, as do I, and I appreciate you. Thank you for taking all the time to talk all things Bundesliga and a little bit Austrian Bundesliga today. Yeah, anytime, man. I always enjoy it. Me too. Me too. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you all again next week. Thanks.